electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the road ahead for your money with stocks pacing for their second positive week in a row. Big earnings at play today in what is a broad-based move in the markets. Let's debate where we stand now with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour today are Stephanie Link, John Najarian, Shannon Sakosha is Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private Wealth, Liz Young, BNY Mellon's Director of Market Strategy, and Jason Snipe, the Principal Odyssey Capital Advisors. He's also a new CNBC contributor, which we're happy about. Congratulations for that. Let's go to the wall. Check out where we stand, as we always do, as we set the table for our Friday conversation. 29,367 for the Dow. That's 1%. That's what we're calling it. 288. S&P is just shy of that. The Nasdaq's having a pretty good day, as are the small caps. Liz Young, let's set the investing landscape, if we could, for our debate, okay? You've got virus cases soaring. But you've got very promising vaccine news that we got this week on a number of different fronts. You've got the president not conceding, but you've got Biden winning Arizona, which gives some more certainty to the transition period, despite the noise and the noisemakers, if you will. Uh, you've got so much pent up demand on the other side of the virus. You know that's going to be the case. And then you have this battle between value and growth as you all try and figure out where to place your bets for the months ahead. So what do we do with all of that? What do we do with all that? We start with thinking about the time frame. And it's true that through the end of the year, maybe into January, early February, we're going to have some tough headlines. We're going to have some tough virus headlines that are going to give us bad news here and there. And I don't want to discount that. But the market now can look out further. And starting in August, September, and even through October, we couldn't look out that far because we were so obsessed with what was happening every day and every week. Now we have a path forward. We have a light at the end of the tunnel. And companies can start to look forward and actually give us some guidance on what's going to happen into 2021. I think there's a lot to look forward to here. And I don't want investors to miss that. So this is a good time to start putting money to work. Don't try to chase it. Don't try to time it. But on the other side of this, I think that value and growth battle, as much as I am tired of talking about it, I do think it's something that's going to take shape and the economy will start to be led by more of the garden variety recovery story, which happens to be a lot of those value names. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's been tiring talking about it, but it is where the debate currently lies. And you could see it, Steph, this week, the push pull of the market. The market has been able to look through a lot of the stuff that I mentioned and you are, too, by virtue of the fact that you keep buying cyclical stocks. <laughs> I do, but I do have a little bit of a balance, too. You know that. I own secular, some secular technology stocks. But this week has been a doozy in factor rotation. 
So we, as you mentioned, we've been having the debate between better vaccine news, more clarity on the election, and I would argue I'm, I feel better about a mixed Congress than whatever president is in office, quite frankly, because it's gridlock. And as an investor, I like gridlock. Um, and then you have versus the rising COVID cases, as you mentioned. Um, and on any given day, if we're focusing on the vaccines and the gridlock, then cyclicals and reopening stocks work. On any given day, if we focus on COVID cases rising, then it's back to defensive growth. And we had both of that this week, right? Um, and so you have to have balance. Now, I am obviously watching the COVID cases, right? But I think if it gets materially worse, Scott, I think you get a skinny fiscal bill sooner than expected. Skinny, meaning now, I don't know a how much worse money, it needs to get, but at right? least something. I don't know how wor much worse it needs to well, get. You got okay, 155,000 cases a day. I mean, what? What do we want? 200? Uh, can I get 200? Can I get 225? Can well, I get 250? Can I get 300? Because that is apparently <laughs> where we are heading in terms of the virus cases. There is no, it seems, hope in the near term anyway for stimulus. Well, you're right, because Congress is a mess right now. But if it gets a lot worse, then I think there's more pressure on them. In the meantime, and I said this earlier this week when we were having this discussion, I believe we're in a better place in terms of knowing about this, about this virus, about treatments, about tests, about contact tracing, about mask wearing, and that, that works. And so I think we're better able to handle higher cases, even though it's a tragedy. So what I'm looking at, yeah, I'm buying some cyclicals on bad days because I'm willing to look six to eight months down the road, which is what the market does. Well, it's a forward-looking indicator. And I think six to eight months down the road, we will have the beginnings of a vaccine. By the way, J&J &J has an, an analyst meeting next week. Mm -hmm. I bet you anything we hear something with regards to progress on their initiatives. I think you're going to be right. And Jason, the bottom line is the reason we're able to look past such horrifying numbers on the virus is because of the vaccine news that we got this week. You imagine where we'd be if we didn't have that, if we were just talking about 155,000 cases and deaths creeping up and hospitalization records. And if you if you want you want to talk about two maps, you put up the electoral map and you put up where the cases are exploding around this country map. I mean, that's where the conversation really needs to be. The reason why the market can get past it is because the vaccine news that we got this week has stocks up in the face of horrifying virus numbers. And, and your buys reflect the market's thinking. You bought Marriott. You got it. You got it. And for me, Scott, I mean, you know, as we as we watch the market yo-yoing back and forth over the last couple of weeks, I think it's really speaking spoken to asset allocation and making sure that you're taking a tactical approach. I mean, we've been highly levered on the technology and discretionary side. I mean, the efficacy news from the Pfizer trial on Monday was fantastic. And, you know, for us, I think it's really important to make sure that you're, you're looking at some of these epicenter names. I think the story going forward into 2021 won't be like it has been this year, thankfully, but I think it'll be an earning story versus kind of the multiple expansion that we've seen this so far this year. Yeah. All right, John Najarian, table set for you. What are we supposed to do with everything that we've right. talked about thus far? Well, um, my, my hat's off to the folks that were brave enough to step into Marriott. I was not one of those. Um, but that was because it was at the high end of its range, Scott. And as far as those epicenter stocks, um, both Jenny uh, loved that one yesterday and Cisco. And now we have another endorsement of it. So I guess I should have jumped on those. I think the epicenter stocks do well, Scott. Um, if you want alpha right now, that's where you go. Um, I could show you another area uh, as far as EVs. These electronic vehicles, uh, whether they're 
autonomous vehicles produced in China, whether they're EVs, and there's so many. I mean, Lee, uh, Neo, XPEV. These are all names that I have accumulated over the last several days and weeks, and they're exploding to the upside. EXPV, um, PEV, sorry, EX, uh, I'm sorry, just the letter X, PEV. Too many symbols, Scott. But um, those and Fisker, I mean, this is where a lot of folks are really finding alpha right now. And you can tell that there are institutions in there by the volumes. I mean, Lee, that L-I symbol, that one is up 10 times normal three-month volume, Scott. That speaks volumes to me and to Pete when we see institutions piling into things like that. So a lot of these have run. I think they've got a lot more runway. That's one of the areas I'd be looking for alpha. And the other is, you know, again, right there at the epicenter stocks, uh, I think those are fantastic areas to get it. Well, as long as you do it in the right way, a little prudent, I would be doing it in call spreads. That's what I've done. So, so Shannon, speaking of the epicenter, right, and, and right in the heart of the bullseye, if you will, um, is Disney, right? Disney has its earnings. The street is rewarding it big time today. You own the stock. It's one of the leaders in the S&P 500 today. We can show the stock here as earlier it was up by better than um, 4%. Let's take a look at where shares of Disney are. But, Shan, you know, tell me about this. It's, it's all about streaming. Well, the stock's up 2%, 138. It was, uh, it was north of 140, I think, a little bit earlier today. What's your read on the earnings? And I want to talk about some of the commentary that's out around it that sets up a pretty good debate. So if we were talking about this in November of 2019, Scott would be over the moon about these streaming subscriber numbers. I mean, if you put it in perspective, you had 73, um, 73 million subscribers. Netflix has 195 global subscribers. That's in less than one year. And so we should be really excited about that. However, parks are down over 60% year over year. Theatrical releases are down 50% year over year. And so the challenge here is, you know, if you're looking at this from the perspective of what could go wrong, well, those numbers could continue to deteriorate over the next few months with all the COVID talk that we've just had. Um, but again, focusing on that direct-to-consumer effort, focusing on streaming, um, the challenge here is in the near term with cash flow, and that's why they're not going to be able to pay the semi-annual dividend, which is going to create some consternation with investors who own this stock for the dividend. Um, but they need to be putting that cash flow that was supposed to be generated from parks in particular to fund the streaming uh, enterprise. They're going to have to take that away from shareholders for the time being, invest in streaming, and essentially kind of hold the rest of the business steady with ESPN, you know, getting a little bit better in ad revenue in the interim, growing streaming in order to create an opportunity in the second half of next year when all of these pieces should come back together. Hello, Dan Loeb, right? I mean, Loeb made this big bet on Disney and wrote that letter suggesting that they permanently get rid of the dividend, redeploy that capital towards the streaming business. And they, Disney is, is, has at least taken a step, a significant one, really, in that direction. All right. So RBC upgrades Disney, Shan, to up, uh, outperform Price target is a street high 170. That's one side of your analyst play today. The other comes from really the, one of the preeminent media analysts on Wall Street, um, Michael Nathanson of Moffitt Nathanson, Craig Moffitt uh, within that characterization as well. I, I, don't, I don't want to slight him. Um, they're neutral on the stock, and they're at 139. 
They say the launch of Disney Plus exceeded our wildest imaginations. The stock's performance has also exceeded our more sober assessment. This is where it gets interesting, though, and this is where I want to have the debate, Shannon, as optimistic as everybody is on streaming. Quote, we are unwilling to tape, take the leap of faith on DTC, direct-to-consumer valuation, that the market is so willing to make because we are uncertain that the sum of Disney's direct-to-consumer business should be treated using Netflix's multiples, which we still think is overvalued. So what are we supposed to do with that? Because the overwhelmingly positive story is told around streaming and Disney+. Plus. So I look at the direct-to-consumer story a little bit differently. So if we're thinking about it in terms of reopening, uh, the, the, the bull case is that we reopen, you know, the parks reopen, they get revenue from that. And in that case, they really don't need, you know, the direct-to-consumer to work all that well. On the flip side of that, if we don't get that and we are sort of hunkered down, you know, I think the de direct-to-consumer multiple on Netflix, which I also own, uh, is reasonable given the fact that we have seen this shift in the way that we consume content. Um, and this is a, you know, this is a basket for me. I, I like content, so I like both of these stocks. So I think that I disagree with the value of the DTC business, but I disagree on both stocks. So if they're making that comparison to say it's overvalued in the Netflix stock price, then I would disagree with them here in Disney as well. So I, you know, I think this is a tough stock to own over the next few months. I think that this is still a difficult story because you don't see those types of year-over-year -year revenue declines in businesses and feel great about it. But I think that they're, they're positioned well for the second half of next year. And to Liz's earlier comments, that's what we should be investing for, is the next three, four, five years. And I still think Disney's a good, whole, good buy here, given that time horizon. You said something really interesting that I'm, I'm writing down because I want to talk to Steph about it. Tough to own this stock for the next few months. I mean, Steph, that's kind of the point of the whole conversation, right? It, you, you, you need to <laughs> yeah. look sort of on the other side of the vaccine. This is the ultimate vaccine stock. Yes, it, it could be a rocky few months for Disney as you just continue to look at cases and say, well, people aren't going to be going back to the parks in any meaningful way anytime soon. The company is overly reliant on direct-to-consumer and its streaming business because it's the only game in town right now. However, if you take that longer-term view, the game can look pretty good if you get everything back into place. Now, that said, you sold Disney at 145 way back in February. Yes, yes, I did. And I'm glad I, I did. I found other names in the consumer reopen space. Uh, you talked about Marriott. I bought Marriott three weeks ago, and only 28% of the sell side have buys on the stock. This thing is hated. Wynn Resorts, only 50% of the, of the sell side have buys on this thing. On Disney, you've got 75% of the sell side that like this stock, and I just think it's a favorite. It was one of the reasons I sold the stock, because sentiment had gotten so over the other side. So um, could I have bought it back at 90? Certainly. But I found these other names. Now, look, the story with, with Disney, as Shannon um, said, is it is about streaming. It is about the advertising recovery, right? And that's what she's willing to see and look out for six, eight, ten months uh, down the road as we get a vaccine. But my problem is that the streaming costs and the content costs 
are really going to be much, much, much too high and that you're not going to get the operating leverage. In addition to parks probably don't return to 2019 levels until 2024. And that's a long time to wait. And films also very, very challenging. Look, COVID hit this company in 2020, fiscal 2020, by $7.4 billion. That's a big nut to try to get back. And it's going to take a lot of time. So I don't think there's a lot of downside to Disney. I just think there's a lot of much more upside to the other names that I own. Jason, you wouldn't buy Disney here either. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I agree with Steph. I think there's just other spots in the kind of discretionary space and, and some of the epicenter names that, you know, for me, as I look to also kind of what's going on with Netflix and the multiples there. Yeah, it's just it just wasn't a place that we we hopped in. But um, I understand it. I understand the story. Their earnings blew out. So it's 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 done very well, but just not a name that we jumped into. Yeah. The other um, really positive earnings story and another S&P leader today is Cisco. Shannon, I'm, I'm coming back to you because you, you own it. You bought it in March. Uh, best day mm-hmm. since March 26. So you had pretty good timing. Yeah, I mean, again, if you actually look at the numbers, I think if you took took this out of context to what's happened in the world this year, then you really wouldn't be all that excited about it. Um, I, I think, you know, honestly, on-premise uh, networking isn't as bad as they expected it to be. Um, they are anticipating, you know, similar to what they had guided for over the summer, that there would be this, re- this focus over the summer and work from home um, and being able to create the appropriate opportunities and the appropriate technology in your businesses to be able to support that. Um, and now they're looking at this renewed interest in pure enterprise spend. And, you know, I agree. I think that that cycle is going to be renewed. I think that companies are going to have a better sense of their cash flow over the next couple of years. The vaccine provides some additional clarity on that. And so I think some of these longer term technology project projects that Cisco will benefit from in being able to create that um, networking will be a positive. The other thing is the CFO um, coming in from Autodesk, really bringing that knowledge of the recurring revenue model, which is so desperately needed by Cisco right now. So I think the leadership change, along with an improvement in enterprise spend, have created this tailwind for the stock over the next several quarters. You you talk about a going back to work stock. This is one of those at the very (laughs) top of the list. Let's bring in Jenny Harrington, one of our investment committee members. She joins us on the phone. Um, Jenny, you made a great call yesterday on this stock. The bar is very low. You said the stock is super cheap at 12 and a half times, should be an easy quarter to beat. Now, I know you said that going into Intel too, but this one has paying off big time. Right. And I think Shannon just absolutely nailed it on her assessment of, of what happened in the quarter, why the numbers came in well. And I think you can look at it from that kind of small company picture level. But what's interesting here is that this also tells a bigger story. And what it shows is that incremental individual moves, like we're seeing in Cisco today, are exactly what's going to continue to narrow slowly and steadily will narrow that valuation divide between growth and value. And it is where we've been talking about it all along. The bar is just set too low. So here you had a stock trading at 12 times earnings. They should earn about $3.50 a share. Let's say they get a 15 times multiple, right? That's a $52 stock. That's 26% upside. And that's not even expecting anything terribly rosy or flashy. It's not a flashy story. It's just a compelling investment based on the financials. A lot of things have to go right, though, right? I mean, I, I mentioned the idea. I don't think so. But, I mean, it's going back to work stock. That, that story has to, has to work, though. I mean, you have to have people at some point to return to the office. And they will. 
you know, whether we return in March or July, we're returning to the office. And interestingly, you don't need the bodies in the office to support the um, going back to work story for Cisco. You just need the offices to be open so that the um, so that the enterprises can be upgraded in advance of people returning. Yeah. And that was part of the problem was that the whole offices were shut down. So as long as as long as they're accessible, Cisco can keep installing systems. Well, it was a good call you made. We wanted to give you props Thanks. for it. Uh, thanks for calling <laughs> Thanks. in. Have a good weekend. We'll see you on the other side. That's Jenny Harrington of Gilman Hill uh, joining us there. You know, Steph, as you talk about sort of uh, return to work or the other side of the virus, returning to life, you know, if you will, um, you got people placing some big bets on that. Bank of America Flow Show today says inflows into equities, all-time record. $44 billion. Marco Kalanovich, one of the most closely watched strategists on, on the street, J.P. Morgan, at risk because of the vaccine. UBS, we believe there's upside left, retain our pro-risk positioning. I don't hear a lot of people going on the other side of this market. Yeah, and it's a little bothersome when everybody gets on one side and the sentiment really does shift. But I do still believe that people are underweight, the cyclicals and the reopened stocks. And a lot of people want to get more certainty. And when we get more certainty, the stock market's going to be much higher because we know it's a, few, it's a forward-looking indicator. There's $4.8 trillion in money market funds right now. The average is $2.5 trillion. So there's money to be had to be put into the market. The consumer savings rate at 14%, that's versus 5% on average. If you went from 14% savings to 5% average, that's a trillion dollars in consumer spend. So whether the consumer is going to spend it on stuff or put it into the market, I can very much see the flow is continuing to be strong. Yeah. Uh, Dr. J, you know, you, you went through some of the moves you had in, in Neo and Fisker. I want to throw up the VIX and have that conversation again because it plays into the story of how some are trying to play this market by expecting a further drop in volatility, thus being a bullish sign for stocks. That was the Tom Lee call of late this week, who thought the VIX was going to go under 20, and that was a direct confirmation of a buy signal for the market. And here you are at 23, a decline of more than 8% today. All right, we'll work on Doc's audio there, obviously. Uh, None of us can hear him. But how about that, Liz, this idea that volatility is going to continue to collapse and that investors should use that as a sign to start buying stocks again? I think volatility collapsed a little bit quickly for me. And if we look at really what we're facing in the next 30 to 60 days, I'd expect there to be some little bursts of volatility throughout that period. I think for it to actually go down below 20, which is what Tom is calling for, and for it to stay down there, we need to get to the period where people are getting vaccinated and we have a fiscal package at play, which actually brings me back to something we talked about earlier in the show. There is a chance on December 11th that we get some sort of Band-Aid package or we get a Band-Aid of some sort because Congress does have to act to keep the government open. So there is a small chance that we can get something there to get us to the other side. But Broadly speaking, volatility, I think we're going to see some spikes here and there. doesn't mean that you have to avoid the market altogether. I still remain optimistic, and I think that people are underweight. I agree with Steph. People are underweight, the cyclicals. I also think people are underweight international, and it's not a place to be ignored, because if this is a global recovery story, you want exposure to the Eurozone. You want exposure to Asian EM, and I don't think people need to look past that any further. We fixed John's audio. I'm going to come back to you, John, for your, your take on volatility. John, can you All hear right. me? Well, Scott, can you hear me? 
I can hear you fine. Was that a talk to can the hand? Can you hear me okay, that? Scott? Yes. <laughs> no, I was refocusing the uh, iPad. Scott. I got you. I got Sometimes you. Sometimes when you step behind it. Anyway, um, like I say, though, Scott, your question is very timely because when we saw that 40 and 41 VIX that held in there for two days, Scott, that's a trigger for Pete and I to get in. So I'm not saying Tom Lee is wrong, but I like buying literally when there is that fear, uh, blood in the streets or whatever you want to say. So we went heavily into stocks at that point, and I had very few option positions that I was long in. I was short options because they were fat. Now that we've swung the other way, Scott, to the lows basically going all the way back to February, I mean at 23, this is one of those low reading times, I'm much more likely to be in options and selling out of the stocks that have made this nice big rally. So Tom could be right. Maybe the VIX breaks 20. And if it does, I'll just be loaded up with call spreads, but I won't have nearly as much stock. Okay. Uh, let's talk about some other moves we've got. Jason, we talked about the Marriott buy. You also bought more PayPal. Tell us. I did. Uh, PayPal, I mean, obviously, it's been a great story all year. Uh, the digital payment industry is not going anywhere, contactless payments. Um, but we did enter it, you know, add some additional capital off its highs in October, you know, around 215. So we, we got in around 190. And it's been a name we've had all year and it's done very well. And I do think even post-pandemic, um, it'll continue. This, this industry will continue to soar. Shannon, um, IDEX Corp, you wanted some more industrial exposure. You can talk to us about that and maybe some of the other plays you had, too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think this IDEX is a little bit of a smaller company. We were looking for industrial exposure that had perhaps a little bit more of a small mid-cap tilt, given the you know, cyclical rotation that we're seeing um, provides plump, excuse me, provides pumps across a myriad of different industries, very niche products. And so we think that this is a great way to leverage some of the growth in the health and sciences space, as well as just industrial in general. Um, and in order to fund that, we actually sold Chevron. And so we've talked a lot about energy over the last couple of months, Scott, um, and just felt that this Supply-demand mismatch was going to continue. We've had some nice move in, moves in energy this week, Monday in particular. So, you know, we are perhaps giving up a little bit of this cyclical beta by selling out of Chevron at this point. But I think that, you know, as it relates to coming back to shareholders, we're going to get less, of a, less dividend growth over the next couple of years. Cash flow is going to be... Uh, very, um, it might be limited, continue to be somewhat limited. And therefore, we think just there's other opportunities. To Steph's earlier point, you know, to get my um, beta industrials exposure and cyclical exposure elsewhere. All right, good stuff. We'll take a quick break. Coming up, coming up, we do have a big week ahead for earnings. Two Dow components on the docket, Walmart and Home Depot. Plus, we have Target, NVIDIA, and more. We're going to go through those, get our plays before the numbers, take some positions there. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The Republican National Committee says it will spend at least 
$20 million on the Georgia Senate runoff elections. A GOP strategist tells CNBC Republicans will spend over $100 million altogether, and Democrats are expected to spend a similar amount. Ethnic minorities have a higher risk of contracting COVID-19 than whites, according to an analysis of 50 studies with nearly 19 million patients. Researchers found blacks were twice as likely to become infected as white people, due in part to a higher proportion of essential workers who are unable to work from home. The Cleveland Browns have shut down their facility after an unnamed player tested positive for COVID. The Browns are still scheduled to play the Houston Texans, though, on Sunday. And in Bahrain, the royal family has buried the world's longest-serving prime minister. Prince Khalifa held that position since the country's independence from Britain back in 1971. You are up to date, Scott. That's the news update. I'll send it back to you. And we appreciate that. Thank you, Sue. We've got a big week ahead for earnings, including Walmart, Home Depot, NVIDIA, all set to report. Rahel Sullivan breaking it all down for us. Nice to see you on this Friday. Hi, Scott. Always good to see you as well. So let's start now with Home Depot and Lowe's reporting Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively. So, Scott, both beat expectations the last time they reported, with Lowe's especially blowing past estimates. They're also both up more than 25% on the year, but there are this time more concerns about how long these pandemic plays hold up. Scott, you talk about this a lot on the show. Essentially, are we all still sprucing up our homes nine months into the pandemic? Also reporting midweek, Walmart and Target also exceeding expectations last quarter. Target especially delivering the strongest comps in the company's history. That was according to the CEO, Brian Cornell, when he spoke on CNBC. So we do know that Target and Ulta just announced that deal to open hundreds of makeup shops inside Target stores. They do expect that to be a traffic driver for Target. And finally, NVIDIA, they report on Wednesday. The chipmaker is up about 125 percent, 124 percent year to date and by far and away the best performer on the SMH this year. Scott, although it is one of the worst performers in the S&P today as it's down almost 2 percent right now. All right. Good stuff for health. Thank you. Good weekend to you. See you next week. All right. Uh, let's take Home Depot first, OK, because the question I have is whether they've seen the best. Stephanie Link, who sold this stock in, in early November on Election Day. Shannon trimmed a little bit earlier this year. So sort of this idea, Steph, is the best behind Home Depot now? The stock's had a great run, as has Lowe's. But is it as good as it gets? I mean, it's a great company and a fabulous management team and a wonderful balance sheet and all that. But, yeah, I mean, I kind of think at 26 times forward estimates, I think estimates might be peakish, if you will. That I do not think they're going to miss the numbers by any means. And the stock might grind higher. But I look at something like Stanley Black & Decker, which is actually flat on the year, and 30% of their tools business is Home Depot and Lowe's. So I'm still getting exposure, and I'm still having that housing theme in my portfolio. But that one really has lagged. And they also have an industrial part of their business, which is a reopened part. So I just think you get a little bit more bang for your buck. And I, of course, I I own DR Horton. Um, I'm sitting tight with that one only because it still trades at 12 times. That's a lot cheaper than 26 times. Shannon, I said you, you trimmed it earlier this year. Jason, you, you also own it. But frankly, it sounds like you're not all that optimistic either. From the notes, you expect a decent quarter. Why? Right. Yeah, I just think there's just so much seasonality in this business. Obviously, this year has been an anomaly to a large degree. Uh, they've done very well, you know, and I, and I think the expectations are high. I think they'll, they'll reasonably, I agree with Steph, I think they'll reasonably beat 
expectations. But, you know, the, the party might be slowing down here, you know, so uh, it's a hole for us at this point. Are you worried about that, Shan, that, that we are at a tipping point? I am, I'm worried that we might be just because of sentiment, but there are two things to look at, you know, versus the stay at home trade. Number one, you know, all of these housing market stocks continue to rally for good reason. There's a lot of household formation going on. And so that could continue even if we sort of go back to normal or the new normal. The other thing is, is that, you know, we could see share buybacks here. Um, that was something that was taken off the table last quarter. Um, that, I think that would be a positive for, um, for the stock as well. And that's probably not being priced in right now. John? Walmart, again, another stock that's had a pretty good run. It's up 24.5% year-to-date. You continue to hold it? Yes, sir, and love it. Um, it'll be really interesting, Scott. We've heard the rumors, and we've even heard you know, Walmart even lean into some of those rumors about how many people have got their delivery service, You know, the, the, basically going after Amazon with Prime. Walmart allegedly has signed up a ton of folks in this country for exactly that service. If those numbers are shockingly good, then I would look for the stock to move well through 150 to the upside here, Scott. Um, I, I think it's poised to do exceedingly well into the holiday shopping season. Obviously, soft lockdowns uh, are not bad for that business either. They and Target, both, Scott, will benefit from that, in particular for the uh, grocery-type items that aren't Whole Foods, priced. They're more on the uh, discounted uh, side of the business. And I think that's going to be widespread winner for both firms. Steph, how good does NVIDIA have to be? Oh, really, really, really good because it's up 126 percent year to date. But here, you know, I, I have this right size of my portfolio. So, right, it's only a 50 basis point overweight for me because it's been up so much and the valuation is sort of kind of hard to get to get my arms around it, but they are in the sweet spot of where you want to be. They're in 5G, they're in data center, they're in AI, they're in gaming. In fact, last month, remember they raised their data center total addressable market by 50 billion in one year out. So they have a lot of momentum in their end markets and I just don't want to fight that. Plus, I really like their M&A with Arm and Mellanox. So I think they're going to be quite synergistic um, and sooner rather than later. So it has to be really good for the stock to react. And oh, by the way, if you have what you have going on today, which is the cyclical stocks are outperforming the stay at home, this one is not going to act well. But I want to stay patient with it. And if it were to pull back 15, 20, 25 percent, I might even add to it. Yeah, I mean, it's been a topsy-turvy week for growth and value, right? What looks like it's great one day may, may not necessarily be that way. The next day, the bar obviously very high. Uh, for NVIDIA, given that performance again, 129% uh, year to date. All right, we're going to bounce for a couple. We'll come back. John has unusual activity coming up. And before we head to break, take a look at the S&P sectors this hour. There you go. Led by energy of all things. S&P just pretty much highs of the day, 31 points. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever. And we feel your pain. 
If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Unusual activity time. Doc, what do you got? Taiwan Semiconductor, Scott. Um, TSM. These, both of them that I'm going to give you today are options that expire the 4th of December. Not regular expiration December, 4th of September of December. They are buying the 100 calls, Scott, in here. Uh, the Taiwan Semi has been on fire in the last quarter. They're looking for it to continue. Just hit a new 52-week high today. Second one, Scott, um, Penduo Duo, PDD. This is one of the Chinese stocks that has absolutely been flying. 50% increase year over year of subs. And now they're buying the 170 calls. This is a $143, $144 stock. They're buying the 170s that are only out there three weeks in the future, Scott. So the 70% performance that they've put up in the past month, they're looking for that to continue. I'm in both. I'll probably be in them until the early part of December, Scott. Okay, good stuff. Thank you. Ask Halftime's coming up next. You can send your questions by video. We'll play it on the air. For that, email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We'll be back in two minutes. All right. Question answer time. First up, a video question for Steph on GE. It's from Matt in Georgia, Steph. Hey, guys, love the show. Love the panel. Love Larry Culp and GE. Love the energy play. But how much love can I give? I need a return on capital. 727 is the average cost per share. How much longer do I hang in there with this stock? Thank you. Thank you for the question. All right, Steph, what's the answer? Thanks, Matt, for the question. Um, it really does depend on your time frame, right? I mean, takeouts and takeovers, rather, take a lot of time. They had, have been making big progress the, um, since their third quarter. The stock is up 50%. So you're doing pretty well, actually, given your average cost. The free cash flow story is improving, and that's the key to this stock. That's what's going to drive shares higher, and I believe free cash flow goes from $2 billion this year to $6 billion by 2024. If you don't have that kind of time frame, well, then maybe you shouldn't own the stock, but I do think they will make progress over time, so I'm staying patient, and I hope you will, too. Okay, good stuff. Thanks for that. Shannon, this one to you, a video question on Alibaba. Hi, uh, I have a question for you. I want to know, uh, is this a good time to buy Alibaba, JD, and uh, some other companies? Thank you. Thank you for the question. All right, Shan, I mean, you know, there's a big question right now about Chinese Internet companies, given what's going on with the anti-PO. 
Absolutely. There's definitely questions here. Um, we're going to see more financial regulation. But just as a reminder, the CCP's five-year plan released um, over the last couple of weeks has pointed to homegrown Chinese innovation as being a, a priority. So we still like this company from a consumer perspective. They're the Amazon of China. And so I think Bob is still a buy here, especially if we fall below the 200-day moving average. Yeah, it's been a rough week, down 14% in one week. Shan, okay, thank you. Doc, to you from John in Iowa. What are your thoughts on uh, DraftKings uh, now that it's reported? I loved the report, Scott. We know that there was pent-up demand for um, sports fans like both of us, uh, and a lot of those sports fans like to bet. Um, also, the CEO said they're in either the first inning, Scott, or maybe even spring training. He was really emphasizing those baseball analogies when he talked about customer acquisition. I think they just scream higher. I think the stock is a great buy at these levels. Okay. Uh, Jason, to you from Greg in Connecticut. AutoZone, is it a buy here? Thanks for the question, Greg. So uh, when I'm looking, when I look at AutoZone, I think about the aging fleet of cars on the road. I'm thinking about the resurgence of the virus and just the mere fact that we're just driving more. Um, so at, the, at this multiple, I think it is a buy. It's a buy for us. Okay. Liz, to you uh, from Nevis in Pittsburgh. Now that the election is over, what is your advice for someone who has a lot of money sitting on the sidelines, jump in with a diversified portfolio or time average over the next few months? So definitely start getting in, but I would like you to see, I'd like to see you average it in over time. So pick a percentage and pick an interval, but get it all invested by the end of January. All right, Steph, we have a bonus round, well, at least a couple more questions. Uh, Adrian in Vancouver, your thoughts on RTX? Buy, hold, or sell? Yeah, it's about, I own it, and actually it's down 25% in the year. It would, it would be one I add to, um, especially on kind of bad, ugly, cyclical days. The, the third quarter was very challenging, mainly because of aerospace, but that's going to get better eventually. And I think they have a very good and a top-notch defense business as well. They had a billion dollars more in free cash flow in the third quarter. That was absolutely the highlight that got overlooked. And they have a $2 billion cost-cutting program, which will buy them time uh, so that we can be patient for the aerospace recovery. All right, that was a scoop on Raytheon. Shannon, wrapping it up with you from John in Illinois, AbV. Good quarter. Time to initiate or add on if you own the stock? John, I would definitely initiate or add here. Oncology and immunology remain strong franchises. You have the overhang of Humira um, competition from generics coming up over the next few years, but the pipeline looks great. Okay, thank you. More trades ahead on the half. We're back right after this. Got a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? If you want to send us a video, we could play it on air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. It's time for the Futures Outlook. Ten-year Treasury yield is back under, there you go, 89 basis points. Interesting move this week. The safety trade in focus is daily COVID cases in the U.S. cross the 150,000 mark. Let's bring in Scott Nations and Jeff Kilberg for a look at where they think this is all going. Scott Nations, you want to take a crack at this? I mean, we were, we were well over 90 basis points, and here we find ourselves under. We almost got to the round number of 1% when we got the news about Pfizer. When that happened, Scott, everybody thought that we were going to reopen the economy, that there were going to be no tail risks. You know, it's not... A coincidence that gold got killed on that news but now yields are coming back to earth as we realize COVID's going to be worse before it gets better so if we have renewed lockdowns 
then yields are going to be under pressure. And Scott, interestingly, you know, we got some inflation data this morning and yesterday morning. That doesn't help anybody. It doesn't push the market either way. What matters now is do people acquiesce and go ahead and lock down again? If so, yields are really going to be under pressure. If not, then I think that they're going to rally again. They're going to test 1% again. Scott, how do we know? I'm going to watch crude oil because if crude oil finds a floor at $40, that means that the economy is opening up and people are not locking down. It's hard to argue, Jeff, with any of Scott's logic. I mean, even if, if we don't get, get lockdowns, which we may not, I mean, people still curb their behavior, which has the de facto effect of one. So that impacts the, the rate trade, doesn't it? Well, that's right. And Scott is the wiser elder for certain. But what I do want to really highlight and be a little more optimistic than Scott is on the fact that what moved yields higher? We saw the yields nearly kiss 1% in the 10-year note. The highest it's been since the month of March due to the optimism associated with the vaccine from Pfizer. There's about 25 or 30 additional companies searching for a vaccine. So to your point, the surging cases, this is going to be a, a tug of war in yields for the 10-year note. And I really think the technical significance this week is going to be dramatic. Moving forward, we're out of a range, Scott. So now, typically we were tethered to 75 basis points for the last six months. Now we're in a higher yield regime. So I think we're going to be tethered to 90 basis points. We're going to test 1%. We're going to go back down to 80 basis points. But this is all due to the emotions surrounding, on very high volume, I should say, all the emotions surrounding positivity on additional vaccines, as well as the surging cases that we're monitoring from state to state. That seems reasonable uh, from both you guys. Thank you. Good weekend, Scott Nations, Jeff Kilberg. We'll see you soon. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades. Pretty good Friday for stocks. Take a look at your market picture right there. The Dow is up better than 1%, so we've added a little bit in the last 15 minutes or so. 29,389. S&P 500, 35.71. That's just shy of 1%. NASDAQ growth doing well today, too. Three quarters of a percent. Small caps at the bottom of your screen. Good for one and a half percent. That is the Russell 2000 at 17.33. All right, let's do final trades. Jason Snipe, you're first. So my final trade is Catalent, a uh, biologics manufacturer I think will be integral in the uh, distribution of the vaccine. Okay, appreciate that. Thank you. Liz Young? I like retail here. It got beaten up this week in favor of consumer services, but the vaccine changes the outlook for retail into 2021. And I think there's still a lot of pent up demand. People will spend as they can start shopping on their feet instead of online all the time. And there's good things to come, not to mention a holiday season just around the corner. Yeah, I noticed Tapestry was one of the better performers today out of the S&P also. The good doctor, Dr. J. Host HST, Scott. Uh, Jason and uh, Jenny have convinced me I need to be in this space. Park Hotels worked out great yesterday. It's up 6% today. I'm in host as of five minutes ago, hmm. and I like the upside here, Scott. All right, good stuff. Shannon. Electronic Arts, we're coming into the holiday shopping season. We have new consoles, and people are spending more time at their PCs. Great okay. tailwinds for this business. Steph, you got a quick name for me? John Deere. All right. Good stuff. Great weekend, everybody. That does it for us. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Yeah! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.